welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host from today, Priscilla Charles, and I'm joined thanks to the magic of the internet by Keith Brown Oxtra. Uh, Keith is a founder and principal member of Comgenensis and author of the best selling book, The Language of Localization. You're very welcome, Keith. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here today. We're glad to have you on the show. So uh, let's move on and get on to the show. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Uh, I understand that you studied biology and technical communication. So really, I'm curious, I'd like to know how, how you became involved with localization. Well, I fell into it like a lot of people do. I was working for a cardiac pacemaker company writing user documentation. Um, and this was in the early 90s. And that was when the EU said you have to translate everything if it's medical devices and so on. And so we hired Berlitz to um, teach us how to do um, localization. And Dick Crum, I don't know if you remember him, he was he was old when I knew him back in the early 90s, but mm -hmm. he spoke like 15 languages and he, he was just such a great teacher yeah. of localization. And um, so that's kind of how I got started because then I became in charge of um, managing the process for reviewing the localization and setting up the process with our business units internationally and so on. And um, so I learned just a ton about that and I got really interested in it because I've always wanted to work with people internationally, yeah. traveling and so on. So. so that's how you became involved, yeah. So now I understand. That sounds very interesting. And um, so now you're um, you're a, a very successful author, as well as being uh, the owner and founder of uh, Comgenesis. And um, if you've uh, you've published um, a couple of a couple of books, and your latest one is the best-selling book, The Language of Localization. So the language of localization is the third of a series of books of, on content, and this one gathered the knowledge of 52 worldwide experts on localization. So could you tell us a little bit about the book? Um, really, where did the idea of the book come from in the first place? So the original um, idea came from actually Scott Abel with at the Content Wrangler and XML, Richard Hamilton at XML Press. Um, they originally did a book, um, well, Scott and Rahel Bailey did a book on content strategy, the language of content strategy, and they were basically trying to show what multi-channel publishing looks like. And so they put together the book, and from that single source, they developed a book, a website, and a deck of cards. And then he did a bunch of talks, or he and Rahel did a bunch of talks around the world about yeah. it. And the second book was the language of technical communication, to which I contributed. Um, and then I started when we got the local the technical communication book done. I realized, you know, we really need something like this for localization as well, because I'm always being asked by my clients really basic questions on what terminal certain terminology means and yeah. so on and so on. And so it's very helpful if I can just hand them a book and say, here, here's the here's the vocabulary of localization. Absolutely, yeah. Help you get started and understand kind of the context. Um, and it's better than a glossary because each entry has the definition, a description, and yeah. also an essay about it, um, about how that term is used. Um, so that's kind of how we got started. And I talked to Scott 
Scott and Richard, and they were super excited about doing it. And um, so we actually launched it at Loaf World in Silicon Valley last year. And then um, Scott became ill, and so we were, were kind of relaunching the book a little bit now. Um, so yeah, so that's basically how we got started. No, that's um, that's great because for anyone who'd be starting in localization in the industry, um, and for anyone, uh, it's not um, for anyone who wouldn't be familiar with it. That's just perfect. Um, um, and could you tell us a little bit about the topics covered? Because there are a sure. lot of different topics. Yeah, so there are 52, and 52 was kind of a, an arbitrary number that Scott, yeah. Scott Rahel came up with. It's basically, that's the number of cards in a deck of cards. Oh, yes. Uh, right. Playing cards, so that's kind of where that came from. But um, what we did was identify what are the core concepts in localization, um, what are some of the advanced concepts. We broke it down into six different categories. So core concepts, advanced concepts, localization engineering, um, terminology management, marketing, and standards. And then I just trolled my network basically to find um, find people who would be willing to write essays about it who had expertise in each of the topics. And then in a couple of cases, as we went along, um, some other topics kind of re re rose to be um, to the top as being more important than some of the other ones that we'd originally selected. And so based on conversations with experts, we, we made some adjustments in the final account. Yeah. But since 52 isn't really enough for all of the topics that are related to localization, and because localization is related to basically everything else in business, yeah, we also created a, a couple of appendices where we just briefly describe terms from that are related to localization but not core to it. So we really tried to focus on what's core to localization. And then um, the nice thing, because this was the third book in the series, we were able to reuse some of the terms from the from some of the other books. As, and then um, what we did was we modified the essays to fit with the localization topic. Yeah, that um, that that is um, that is an excellent idea. And um, on top of reusing some some terms that were in previous publications, I see on your blog that you were um, that uh, you published. Um, there was a sort of call for maybe um, new contributors, potential contributors. So what I was going to ask you was um, in the kind of um, fast-paced speed environment that localization localization industry is. Do you plan on uh, expanding the publication? In the would you have a, another? a fourth book in the series? I probably should have taken the, the call down because once we publish the book, I don't need it anymore. But um, the XML Press and Content Wrangler just, sorry, Content Wrangler, just recently um, published uh, the language of cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. And um, they are also working on the language of business storytelling. Yeah. So, um, so that series is kind of owned by Scott. But yes, I'm planning on doing some other books and writing more articles and getting my blog restarted. <laughs> it's been kind of a, a challenging year for me personally as well. So okay. things have kind of fallen by the wayside, but we're going to try and restart things um, this fall. So 
Okay, that's great. Well, I suppose you've been very busy as well, yeah. And the book was published uh, last year. So, yeah. So, um, coming back to your current role, you're the founder and principal member of ComGenesis, if I'm pronouncing correctly, and your company is providing consulting and training on internationalization, content strategy, usability, process improvement, content audits, but also project management, technique writing and editing. That sounds like a lot of areas to cover, right? Can you tell us a little bit about um, about your the, the company, your role? Well, I'm I'm basically the the chief cook and bottle washer. <laughs> so I I basically am the company. Um, I when necessary, if I'm working on a big project, I hire subcontractors to help mm -hmm. me work. If I have something like a graphic, if I need graphic design yeah. help or web design or something like that, I obviously I hire somebody who's an expert in that. Um, my favorite thing to do though is to help companies build better, to work in that space between technical communication and localization and help companies build better strategies and processes so that they can do a better job of communicating with all of their customers worldwide. Yeah. And, um, you know, making that localization process more efficient, making the content more global ready from the beginning. Um, so I do a lot of, I actually do a lot of training. Mostly what I do is talk to my clients mm -hmm. and, you know, help guide them and yeah. then do a lot of training. Yeah, that is important. Of course, yeah. The content has to be impactful and uh, global, of course, yeah, with localization. So uh, what types of clients would you, uh, and what types of industry would you be working with? Um, my favorite industry, obviously, because of my background in biology, is life sciences. Life sciences, and yeah. And medical. Um, I really loved working in medical devices. Um, you know, it's, it's so amazing to see what a difference something can make in, course, in yeah. a, a device like that, an assistive device can make in somebody's life. Um, I've also done some work with fire, mm -hmm. um, with the fire agencies with the U.S. federal government wow. um, and that's been really interesting although not related to localization but I learned a lot about wildland fire and how yes. you know, it's a big problem out here in the western U.S. Yes. So <clears throat> um, so I really like really the, the life sciences medical. Yeah no of course I understand with your background in uh, in biology yeah and uh, do you do you plan on maybe working with the, the other industries do you are you looking at a Spending business with other industries. Well, I have, I, I, you know, I have worked. I'm getting ready to do a um, a keynote speech for a com company conference for Almond and Almond Company, Almond Incorporated, mm -hmm. which is in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and okay. they work primarily with heavy equipment manufacturers. So I've done some work with that. Um, when I've done training for controlled um, controlled language and. Um, training on a couple of uh, software applications that relate to controlled language and si simplified technical English. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked with defense contractors and things like that, but my preference is really to stay in life with sciences. Uh, life sciences, medical, biotech. Um, that's really interesting. That's what's interesting to me. Of course, yeah, no, I understand. And um, and also the motto of Comgenesis is very interesting. Uh, communication for a connected word, if I'm if I'm correct. So uh, with all the industry that the consultancy is involved with, um, 
what would you say you've observed from the way that companies communicate nowadays, like compared to, I don't know, let's say three, five, you know, 10 years ago, for instance? Well, I think that it's what's fascinating to me is that the more, the smaller the global economy gets, the more important it becomes to um, companies and culture, you know, cultures to maintain local language. So 20 years ago, when, or 25 years ago when I started, people were just happy to have documentation. Mm -hmm. And then it started being, well, I really like the documentation in my language. And so then we, you know, then we started doing figs and um, Japanese and Chinese. And now it's like pretty much any market you go into, you pretty much have to have local language yeah. and it has to be simultaneous release. Of course, yeah. Worldwide. And so the challenge is, of course, how do you do that? And, and, you know, the devil is in the details. And so it's great because in the last five years, you've really seen the maturity of the technology yeah. to really facilitate that ability. I mean, Even 10 years ago, it would have been hard for us to have a video conference call on our home computer. We would have to find a conference room with a, you know, big, powerful equipment. Mm -hmm. Now, it's like anybody with a laptop and an, you know, laptop or an iPhone can do a video call. Yeah. Um, you know, 10 years ago, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was hard to communicate internationally. Now it's super easy which is both good and bad in some ways, right? Because it's good in that we can get more, more connect, deeper connections with Absolutely. our coworkers. Um, but it also means that sometimes we don't think things as through as carefully and um, think about the cultural, the cultural differences and yeah. similarities um, with our coworkers. And we may inadvertently offend somebody because we didn't take the time to think something through yeah. or, or whatever. So. Um, so I see that the communication is really maturing. Um, the technology is really maturing, especially around machine translation, um, you know, AI, augmented and virtual reality are becoming a thing. Um, that's kind of the, where the cutting edge is now. And so then the challenge becomes, how do we create infrastructure that supports all of this technology, all of this ways that all these ways of communicating and all yeah. this technology and even output formats that we may not even know exist know about yet right there 10 years ago i don't know that i i mean you know i i'm trying to think what it what is the um there there are so many things that even 10 years ago i mean the internet's really only been widely available since 1996 mm -hmm. 20 years yeah That's not very long yeah, it's in, true. in the scheme of things, right? And yet, we went from when I first started, and this will probably date me, but when I first started in at, at my company, when we first got email, um, we could do email internally in the company, but we couldn't send it outside the company because <laughs> it wasn't the bandwidth. Yeah. And then we got modems that were like 14K baud modems, and now we have you know, instantaneous. Yes, messaging, yeah. And so I think that with machine, with the maturity of machine translation, with the maturity of content management technology, with the maturity of localization process management, 
Um, it makes all of this easier to do faster, but if we don't have the infrastructure behind the scenes set up properly to support that um, faster process, yeah. then, then we run into problems. And, yeah. and it's amazing how many big, even big companies are struggling with that infrastructure piece. Absolutely, no, especially um, if you take into consideration that since technology, you know, moves to such a fast, fast pace, um, we'll probably have new technologies that we haven't even heard of very quickly, and uh, some some of the ones that we know today will be, yeah, will be over in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, it moves really fast. So, um, and talking about trends, so you're you're telling me that you're interested in, you know, in in, in AI and machine translation. So, uh, what have you noticed uh, trend-wise uh, that could be making a difference in communication and localization? Trend-wise, that could be making a difference in communication localization. Um, well, I again, I think it's the maturity, the the maturity of the pro of the technology is allowing us to move faster, and um, also allowing us to translate into more languages, um, allowing us to teach people more, um, allowing people to become more global um, with augmented and virtual reality we need to like take lessons from game local games localization yeah. because they've been doing the conversational localization for a lot longer um than technical communication types and so when you get into the augmented and virtual reality you need to have that conversational feel so that it feels realistic and so that's that's a big challenge with localization. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, um, so um, now I'd like to talk about the various organizations that you're involved with, because I understand that <laughs> um, you're um, you're involved with the STC, the Society for Technical uh, Technical Communications. You've been a member for the past twenty nine years. Uh, you've received um, your fellow in twenty thirteen, and you're also the former president of the society, right? Correct. Yes. So in a word of endless competitiveness, where impactful and engaging content remain vital for businesses, how important do you think those um, organizations are, such as STC? I think that the role is evolving, right? So from the 1100s till the mid 90s, Professional organizations were the only way to find out about your profession, to grow in your profession, to um, to get the knowledge that you needed to be successful, to have the network that you needed to be successful. Now that we have, you know, we've had the internet for 20 years, we have Google, you know, people can find out information without the organization. And so now, I think these professional organizations become more important for networking and for teaching social the social um, skills that you need to be successful in business. Yeah. Um, what I see is that a lot of a lot of the young people coming out of colleges have a lot of technical skill, but not a lot of um, skill in networking and interacting with people um, on a face-to-face -face basis, and so. This, the professional organizations can help with that. They can help with curating information and curating. There's so much out there that it's like what's real and what's, you know, the latest fad. 
you know what what's really going to make a difference is skill wise in your in your career what should you be learning about what should、mm -hmm. you be working on and so professional organizations can really help you with that and also give you access to mentors I、yeah. mentor people all the time、um, who come to me and say well I saw your name in the society blog or whatever、mm -hmm. and. Uh, I'm trying to get into the profession, and I don't know where to start. And in technical communication, especially,、um, most jobs aren't advertised. It's all about networking and、mm -hmm. things like.、That. Yeah. So, and as a as a business owner, every every、um, job that I have had has been as a direct result. Direct result of my contacts in the Society for Technical Communication or localization world,、um, and so yeah, so it's it's really important to have that connection. I think with people, and I think as we get these devices in between us, you know, as we become more and more virtual, those、yeah. personal connections become more and more important. Absolutely, yeah. And、um, so you you talked about like you know、uh, maybe students or you know、um, graduates coming back coming out of university. So what what kind of、uh, you know、um, uh, what would be a typical profile of anyone joining STC? Would it be you know any type of、uh, you know professional or young graduate? I, I assume if you're a young graduate, you're you're you can you need network as I understand to start with. Right. So so. Society for Technical Communication (STC) members are typically、um, technical communicators. That I mean, we have people all the way from beginners, you know, new graduates、yeah. to people who are mid-career transitioning into technical communication to people who've been doing technical communication for years.、Um, so we try and we try to serve all of those levels of knowledge,、mm -hmm. um, just like the. Translators associations try to support、um, translators throughout their、yeah. careers.、So、STC tries to support technical communicators throughout their careers, and so those of us who are more senior tend to do a lot of speaking at conferences,、um, workshops, training, mentoring, and that kind of thing.、Um, people mid-career tend to do a lot of networking,、um, exchanging information on the listservs.、Um, You know, writing articles、yeah. and people at the beginning of the career share the knowledge that they're learning from coming out of school. That you know, again, the knowledge that we that I got in my master's degree, some of that information is、yeah. completely irrelevant now. And so, you know, I I'm not as comfortable with the video and podcasting as some of the younger、um, members of our organization. So、mm -hmm. I've actually. Gotten mentored by them on on those kinds of things. So,、um, you know, it's a, it's just a way of building community. And one of the things I love about STC is that it's a very cooperative community.、Mm -hmm. So yes, even if even those of us who are independent consultants or whatever may maybe、um, officially competitors, yeah, we're not. We help each other. We, you know, if I have. Too much work. I'll pass it on to somebody who can do the work,、um, you know, and they do the same thing for me. And so, you know, it, it becomes a community, and we all help each other, and that's what I like about it. And that's also what I like about localization too. Is this very, even though we might work for competitors, it's a, it's a very、um, 
community oriented or profession, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's wonderful. Um, so I'd like to talk about your blog. You are um, you launched a blog, the Pangea Papers, and you've referenced how you've kind of succumbed to peer pressure um, to dive into the blogosphere, if I may say. So, um, and a little while ago, you t you covered a specific topic, global ready content. Can you can you expand a little bit on this for me, please? On the global ready content. Yes. Well, okay. So there, there's the article was talking about five different areas of global ready content and how to, how how you need to focus on those different areas in order to create better content mm -hmm. at the source. So a lot of what I do is teaching companies how to build better source content so that you can have better local localized content because it's localization is very much garbage in garbage out, right? Um, so the global ready content so i talk about the information architecture i talk about the content strategy and making sure that localization is included in that i talk about um the structure of the content itself making sure that you're accommodating things like um you know is there regulatory information involved because if there is it may not apply globally so you might be translating your your general content yeah. into 40 or 50 languages, but regulatory content is different because it may only apply, like if you if it's the for the EU, it only applies to those those EU languages. Yes. It doesn't apply everywhere. Absolutely. Um, you know, if it's Japan, it only applies in Japan. So as an as an example, so how do you manage that content differently than you do your other content in order to be able to output and man, you know, and create that content that's specific to that organization. Because you may not, if it's only for Japan, do I need to have it in English first and then translate it into Japan, Japanese? Probably not. You know, so we talk about how to structure, you know, how to do the information architecture and the content management system so that it'll it'll work. And then we get down into the writing and the graphical elements and how to construct the sentences and paragraphs so that it's easier to translate. And part of that is terminology management, part of that is um, not using a $25 word when a 10 cent word will do, you know, um, control, in other words, controlling your vocabulary. Yeah. Um, and so, and then talking about helping to educate technical communicators on what the localization process actually is because even today a lot of technical communicators are just throwing it over the wall at mm -hmm. the localization company and it comes back magic occurs and it comes back in 50 languages yeah. and they really have no idea how what they're doing affects the ability of the person on the other of side of the wall yeah so trying to close that feedback loop and making sure that they're educating themselves on how their decisions on a content design level affect localization. So that's great. No, of course, yeah, you need to you need to stay updated on uh, on what to do, what not to do, and I suppose that that's useful for uh, for any business, whether it's a, it's a new business or a, or a business that's been. Uh, 
it's been here for ages. So no, that's 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 great. Thank you so much for your time. Um, so it's been an absolute pleasure Kit, to have you on the show, really, and to hear about all the, the great work that you do, and uh, and the language of localization that I've just here. Uh, don't hesitate to have a look, really. Um, and to have a read, really interesting. So, um, so that's today. That's the end for today's show um, with Kit Brown Wextra from ComGenesis. Uh, please tune in again for um, for our next Pixel Talk show, and where we'll be discussing interesting discussions with interesting people from around the world. Thank you so much, Priscilla. Thanks, Kit.